Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Today, we're going to make it all the way through a little over halfway cha of chapter 1. Uh, remember that there are a lot of chapters in this book. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is about one-eighth of the entire New Testament, and we started this series through the entire Gospel of Luke just last Sunday, so we are just scratching the surface. And now, our hope in this study is that you simply will not simply just know about Jesus, like have good information about Jesus, kind of know some things about who he is, and especially in this Christmas season, have an idea about how he showed up on the scene, but like Dr. Luke says in the introduction to this letter, our hope is that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. And so Luke is writing this letter to, to us, to, to all of those who would believe in Jesus and have, been, have heard something about him. And he says, I want you not to not just have information but to know the certainty of that information. So he writes with a lot of detail. We'll get into some of that detail today. Uh, he writes really important stuff that none of the other Gospels include that are unique. And then he also uh, is right in line with the Gospel as it tells the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we heard last week in sermon number one of this series, we heard two announcements about babies. And... We heard two very different responses to those announcements about babies. In fact, you might remember uh, that Zechariah, who was a Jewish priest working in the temple, uh, when he heard that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a baby, he said, well, she's very old and I have my doubts. And Mary, when she heard that she was going to have a baby, even though she was still a virgin, she said, let it be done to me according to the plan of the Lord. I believe, let the, let the Lord's plan be done his way in my life. She had faith. She trusted God's plan. And today, now we're going to pick up the story right after all of that happens and see how Mary responds. She does something really interesting as soon as she hears that Elizabeth was also pregnant. Now, you, you may not know this. I didn't dig into this um, a lot yesterday, uh, last week, but it's important for you to know that Mary and Elizabeth are family. They're related. In fact, most people believe that they were cousins. And so Mary had heard that her cousin, Elizabeth, was also pregnant. And so it says in Luke chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 39, it says, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. So we're going to read many more verses today, I promise you. But uh, the goal for today's message is to walk through uh, this, this next chunk of the Gospel of Luke in the very first chapter, the beginning of the story. As Luke is still setting the stage for the coming of Jesus into the world, uh, today I just want to look at three of the things that happen in Mary's story. Uh, Mary goes on a journey. Mary gives a very specific, she gives a greeting that then, that then has a really interesting result to that greeting. And then Mary gives some praise. Uh, and, and we'll talk about all of these things uh, today. Now let's begin with Mary's journey. Mary goes on a journey of about 90 miles, 90 to 100 miles, depending on uh, kind of how, how you map it out, but somewhere between 90 to 100 miles. Imagine if you were to get in your car and drive to the coast to Santa Barbara. 
Uh, that's going to be about 90 miles. And depending on who's driving and how much traffic, it'll take you somewhere between an hour and a half to two hours to get to Santa Barbara from Lancaster. Now, keep in mind that uh, Henry Ford was not born yet, and so Mary did not drive a car to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. She traveled much in a much slower fashion than we would today. So this, this journey that would take us about two hours by car today took Mary somewhere uh, between four and five days to get from her home to Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. Uh, now, we don't know how Mary actually made this trip. It doesn't, Luke doesn't give us these details here, just that she did make the trip. Uh, as you study the way that this sort of thing might have happened, you might ask questions like, did she travel alone? I remember as I just read this without studying too deeply or thinking too deeply about it, you sort of get this picture that she just like grabs uh, a, a duffel bag and like hits the road and she's, you know, she's at, uh, she's at Elizabeth's house by the evening. This is almost a week later she arrives, and so the question would be, did she go alone by herself? We're not 100% sure. It's most likely that she didn't just, like, you know, look at her, her mom and dad or look at, look at Joseph, her betrothed, and go, deuces, I'm heading out. I'll see you in a few months. Deuces. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in there somewhere. Uh, she probably didn't just do that. In fact, it's most likely, the most likely scenario is that the, the man in her life who was becoming more and more responsible for her, her betrothed, Joseph, most likely chartered some kind of travel arrangements for her. There might have been a caravan of travelers leaving, going in that general direction, and said, Mary's going to go with you in, in this group of people. The reason for that was that if you look at the, the time when she was doing the traveling in that era in human history, it would have been wildly unsafe for a woman to just pack a bag and walk on her own for five days to go and visit her cousin. So the likelihood of her just traveling by herself very, very unlikely. It was highly possible that Joseph probably arranged this travel. Now, Joseph, uh, probably himself, we see in other Gospels uh, that Joseph would have known that Mary is pregnant. He's got some stuff he needs to deal with. You remember that, uh, that we're actually told at one point that Joseph was thinking, I don't know that I can still marry this girl. And he was thinking, maybe I'll put her away secretly. So it's possible that Joseph jumped at the opportunity to get Mary out of town for a minute so he can clear his head and figure out what is he going to do about this woman that he's betrothed to who now turns out to have been pregnant, even though they hadn't, you get it. Okay, he had some stuff to think about. So Joseph probably helped get Mary to Elizabeth's house. Now, okay, so that's a little bit about how it happened. We, we don't really know, and it's, it's not vitally important that we know how it happened. I think it's interesting, probably more interesting to have the conversation about why Mary would have gone to Elizabeth's house. I, I think Mary probably went to Elizabeth's house for several reasons, right? Like you go to your family and you're hoping several things will happen as you're spending time with your family members this holiday season. Uh, I think Mary probably traveled there to Elizabeth's house to celebrate her cousin who had been without child for years and years. We know that Elizabeth was significantly older than Mary, Mary being a teenager at this time. Uh, and Elizabeth, some people say that she was somewhere between 50 and 70 years old when she was pregnant with John. 
any ladies want to volunteer for having a kid and starting over when you are 70 years old, right? But consider the decades of social shame that she felt because in that time, if you didn't have children, it was considered a mark of shame on you and your family. All of the weight she had carried all of these years wanting to have children but not ever having children. And then suddenly she's pregnant. And so Mary, her cousin, would go to celebrate with her to say, yeah, it happened. God answered your prayer. That is so awesome. Certainly we know, as we see at the end of this portion of the account in Luke, that she stayed, Mary stayed for about three months. And she she arrived when she was about six months pregnant. So six, seven, eight, Nine, anybody know what happens around nine months for a pregnant person? So she probably was there to help with the final trimester of pregnancy as well as to very possibly help in the delivery itself. Now, I think more profoundly, I think that Mary probably just needed to be in the same room with Elizabeth. Uh, th- think about the, the, the moment that Mary finds herself in. She's just told she's miraculously pregnant. Raise your hand if you can relate to that. Exactly. So she needed to go to the other person on the planet who was miraculously pregnant. Uh, Maybe if I could speak to you in in spiritual terms, I, I think I can explain it to you like this. When you find that you are pregnant with something in the spirit that is something of God, that he has put inside of your heart or your spirit uh, to 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 steward and to see become a reality, like God has given you a vision or a passion for something or a calling. When God's given you a promise or, or a vision for something, it often feels like not everyone around you can understand that. And so it's important that you talk with people who get it. Yes? Okay, let me give you a personal example of how this played out in my life. I was serving on a church staff in, in Palmdale. The church is called the Highlands. Great church. We love the Highlands. And uh, while we were on staff at the Highlands, the Lord put this vision for a church plant in my heart and in my wife's heart and several other people who we were talking to. Uh, we all of a sudden felt like God was saying, you're going to plant a church and you're going to plant a church in Lancaster. And then the more we talked and prayed about that, he said that church is going to be called Life Church. And Welcome to the meeting, right? So this was happening while we were on staff at this other church. So, of course, like we went and talked to the senior pastor, Pastor Ken Hard, and he, he blessed us to go and to plant this church. And I remember as we were uh, stewarding the, the kind of the now we have this vision, but not yet the church hasn't been planted kind of season. I remember having conversations with people who just did not get it, Right. So I was the young adults pastor at the church in, at the Highlands, and this funny thing happened with the people that didn't get it. They were like, we're so excited for you to go plant your young adult church. And I thought, I'm not planting a young adult church. And they go, but you're the young adults pastor. I go, right, but I'm not stealing all the young adults from this church to go plant a church. Like, we're planting a church. And they would go, right, a young adults church. No, a church. A young adults church, right? No, it's just a church. We hope that there's young adults there, but like also old adults and not yet adults, you know? And I could just see them go, I don't get it. I go, we're not going to talk about this anymore. (laughs) Not because they're bad, but just because they weren't going to help me steward what God was doing in me, right? I've never been pregnant in a physical 
sets, 50% of the people on the planet will never be able to, like, just it can't, it's not going to, okay. But the closest thing that I could, in a spiritual sense, relate to that experience is what it feels like to have something growing inside of my heart that no one else could see yet. And I knew that I knew that I knew that this thing was coming. And sometimes when I talk to people, they were like, just weird about it. But it helped move the whole thing forward when I would sit down and talk with Danny about it. Because Danny was carrying the same thing in his heart that I was carrying. And then, so he was on our core team, or, or, or Mark. We would sit down and we would talk about it. We would go, I think we're going to plant a church. And go, yeah, I think we're going to plant the church. Or like we'd walk down Lancaster Boulevard because God told us that's kind of where it was going to be. And it just like it just felt like this was where it was going to be. And if I was on Lancaster Boulevard with someone who didn't get it, it was just a walk. But if, but if it was with somebody like Mark, then it was praying something into existence that wasn't here yet. So I think Mary got in the caravan and traveled for five days because she knew there was only one other person on the planet who would get it. God is doing something significant in me, and not everybody else is going to get it. Right? So Mary teaches us this lesson about stewarding the plans that God puts in our lives. It's important to be with people who have also given themselves over to, uh, to, to stewarding and to the submission of what God wants to produce in your life. Don't be around people who don't get it unless you're being around them is so that they can get Jesus. Right? Okay, so I won't spend a lot of time on this, but if you read Genesis chapter 37, you'd read about a guy named Joseph, not Mary's Joseph, but like OG Joseph. Um, he learned this lesson the hard way, right? Like God gives him this vision, and he, he has a couple of dreams, and his dream is that his 11 brothers would one day bow down to him. And if you've ever told your brothers something, you know, so it doesn't go well for Joseph. They end up trying to kill him, and then they're like, well, let's not kill him. They sell him into slavery. Joseph eventually becomes wildly influential in Egypt, and guess what? His brothers come during a famine, and Joseph, who's in charge of all of the food distribution, has his brothers bow down to him. The dream becomes a reality. Joseph's problem wasn't that God had given him a dream. It was that he had told someone that wasn't able to hear it, right? So there's certainly a lesson in there somewhere about, like, don't run your mouth with the wrong people. But I think we learn that from Joseph, and, and that's a really important lesson to learn. But I think, I think Mary flips that into the positive, and from Mary we learn that it is good to tell someone that understands that God is growing something in you. And I, I think probably as an aside to this, that Mary also teaches us that it's wise to go and spend time talking to people who are just a little bit further down the road than you. Elizabeth happened to be physically older than Mary, and so there was some natural wisdom of life that Elizabeth could offer to Mary. But Elizabeth also happened to be more pregnant than Mary, and so there was some some, I'm just a little bit further down the road than you are. Let me tell you uh, what you haven't experienced yet. And so Elizabeth offers to Mary understanding, and she offers uh, to Mary a safe place where she can process what God is developing in you. And if you've been told that you're about to be the mother of God, you probably need a safe place to process, right? So I, I think it would be wise to, to learn from Mary's example and, and, uh, and have 
an Elizabeth in our life. Someone who is going to be a safe place to process what God is developing in us. People who get it. People who will, uh, as we say around here, who will speak life into what God is doing and what God intends to do in and through your life. If you were to ask a couple of application questions from this moment in Mary and Elizabeth's story, the first question might be something like, who do you know who is a little further down the road of your faith? Or another version of that question would be, who do you know who is also carrying something of God's purpose in their heart? Who do you know who's younger than you in their faith? Or who do you know who has a vision that that you recognize and that you could uh, be a safe space or, or who could be a safe space for you. And then, and that's a bunch of versions of the same question, really. But the second question, if you were to apply this to your life, might be something like, what step could you take this week to connect with that person, with the Mary in your life who's not as far along as you or, or the Elizabeth in your life who's a little bit farther along and has something to pour into you so that what God wants to do in your life can pr- produce and develop in a safe place? So Mary travels 90 miles to visit Elizabeth. It's a significant trip, and she doesn't go for no reason. She goes at least for these reasons and probably other layers as well. And then something significant happens, and we've already read about it, and then we'll unpack what happens immediately after this. Something significant happens the moment that she comes into the presence of Elizabeth. She gives this greeting, and so from Mary's greeting now, we take a turn in the story. And it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, Mary entered Zechariah's house, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Elizabeth is going to respond to this moment, but this is really important to pause here and unpack this. I think this is so wildly full of meaning. Let me just, can I, just give me a minute to make two observations. Okay, there's so many more. I'm going to limit myself to two observations. Number one, observation number one, John was alive enough in the womb to recognize the presence of God. This means that that the unborn John already had a soul and a spirit. He He was already John, not simply a developing mass of cells. John's mind had not yet been given the opportunity to comprehend or learn anything. And yet, while having never learned anything, his knower had been switched on to the presence of God. That's not a, a, an intellectual engagement. That's something different. And you don't actually do that with your physical body, which for John was still having uh, time to develop. Uh, it was something more spiritual I think it's also significant to say here as a nuance that it was not the Holy Spirit that made John leap in Elizabeth's womb because Luke, who is very meticulous in his writing, doesn't say that the Holy Spirit came upon the baby. The Holy Spirit filled the mother because the Holy Spirit did not fill John, just Elizabeth. So I propose to you this then, that while still developing in the womb, John was a separate and distinct human individual from his mother's body, soul, and spirit, who already possessed a personal body, soul, and spirit that recognized and responded to the presence of Jesus before birth, despite not yet having been given any opportunity to learn, understand, or comprehend anything outside of the womb. Friends, do you understand what we're saying? The significance 
of this singular moment, which is so easily overlooked in the scripture, in the gospel of Luke, affirms for those of us who are Christians that both John and Jesus were fully human and alive in the womb. John, at six months of development, and in case you would like to argue the later development thing, Jesus was about one month developed at this moment and was present as a, as a person enough that the six month of development John recognized the presence of Jesus. So I would say to you that it is very difficult to believe that life begins after conception and also believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The next time you find yourself in that conversation, Luke chapter 1. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's, good. it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, just for the record, I've had that conversation with several people who have then, after that conversation, said, oh, I now have changed my mind about that very important issue. Okay. Um, that's not a political issue. That's a deeply spiritual issue. Okay. Okay. Second observation. John is already preparing the way for the Messiah in at least two ways in this moment. Before he's even born. Number one, John teaches us that it is childlike faith that recognizes Jesus as God. So childlike that he was recognizing Jesus as God before he was even born. Right before the world had an opportunity to teach him anything other than Jesus is God. His spirit, his soul recognized his, his childlike level of faith. The second way that John is preparing the way for the Messiah is that he teaches us something of the order and flow of receiving the fullness of God's presence. You see, John has this response to the presence of Jesus. He, he leaps for joy just at being in the presence of Jesus. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. There's something there, subtle as it is, that reminds us of, uh, of the way that Jesus will minister. I will come to you, and then I will send the Holy Spirit. Isn't it incredible? If, you, if you're actually paying attention to these little details, the way Luke captures what is true about the kingdom of God, that the Holy Spirit would come after the recognition of the Messiah. Okay, all right, like that, that was a lot. And then Elizabeth speaks. Here's what she says, starting in verse 42. It's this mixture of blessing and, and prophecy. Listen to what she says. She exclaims with a loud cry, first of all, come on, that's awesome. Okay, then, then she says this, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So Elizabeth I mean, shows, shows her cousin Mary great honor. Her younger cousin, incredible honor in this moment. I think that the way that you honor and celebrate a friend when they get a new job maybe is like the, the most mild version of this, right? 
You're not celebrating that they suddenly are like the king of the world, but you're going, hey, good job. You're obviously favored by God. Good for you. I celebrate with you. There's something of that, right? That She's saying, I recognize that you are wildly blessed because you're the one that God chose to carry the savior of the world. And there's something unique about this exchange, right? Like, this has never happened before. Two women who are carrying the one who would make the way for the Messiah and the one who's carrying the Messiah. Never happened before. Never going to happen again. So this is a distinct, unique encounter in the history of humankind. It makes this a very special moment, which, which cannot and will never be repeated. I think that there are actually some personal lessons for us in this moment. I, I think that the way that they engage with each other in some way points us to the ways in which Christ in us should produce community, a, a community that I, maybe we'll call it a, a community of mutual blessing. Think about the way that they encountered one another. Jesus produces this leaping of joy as he comes on the scene. Well, who brought Jesus? Mary, right? There's something about when, when I bring Jesus into an encounter with Elijah, it should actually produce joy in Elijah's life. If I brought Jesus, if I bring just Tim, I, I can't guarantee joy, right? I was talking to somebody just the other day who knew me since I was a younger pastor, and, and the word that they used to describe me as a younger pastor, I think the word was crunchy. <laughs> and they were wrong. I'm thankful that I've learned to bring Jesus into my encounters a little bit more than just him over the last several years of learning how to, to minister. But there's, there's something of that, right? That, that I should bring the blessing of the presence of Jesus and that me bringing the blessing of the presence of Jesus should produce joy in your life. And then, and then look how Elizabeth gets to respond. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's not just that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's on the scene, which, I mean, that's enough, right? That's amazing. The the, the embodiment of the power and the movement of God, like that's in, pretty incredible. And yet, what she actually gets to bring to the table in response to Mary bringing Jesus is by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, she brings a blessing. She brings the, the gift and the, the ministry of the prophetic ministry, the prophetic word. Th this is what it should look like. Jesus in me should bring you joy. The Holy Spirit in you should bring me blessing and, and vice versa. In fact, years later, Jesus himself would teach his disciples in John chapter 13, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. But this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you act like Mary and Elizabeth, if you love one another, if you bring joy and blessing into each other's lives in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Elizabeth models what this should sound like. It should sound like blessing. Dallas Willard offers one of my favorite statements on what a blessing is. He says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. The projection, I have it in me, I shine it into you, right? 
the projection of good into the life of another. It isn't just words. It's the actual putting forth of your will for the good of another person. It always involves God because when you will the good of another person, you realize only God is capable of bringing that. So blessing is not simply saying, have a nice day. Blessing is, may the Lord be with you as you go. Because there's something of a dependency on, on God. Blessing isn't just, hey, be nice to your neighbor. Blessing is, may your neighboring bring your neighbor into the presence of Jesus. Something that only God can partner with you and with that person that you bless to bring into a reality, right? So when Elizabeth blessed Mary, she's speaking these words of life, willing good for Mary, and and words that could only be realized in partnership with God because God is the source of the blessing. This is why I would say that Elizabeth's blessing is is really a, a mixture of blessing and prophecy, Elizabeth speaks a blessing over Mary's life. She says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. God, bless, bless. She's declaring, maybe even commanding this reality of blessedness over Mary's life because of these realities. But she also prophesies what God is saying and what God is up to. She says, your child will be blessed. She recognizes who the child is. He'll be blessed. And then she prophetically says, "You are." she calls her the mother of my Lord. You don't just say that because you're smart. You say that because the Holy Spirit has inspired you to know this, right? Okay, so how do we apply this to our own life? If we were to come up with some application questions for this moment, if we were trying to say, what do we learn from this? You might ask yourself, into whose life am I bringing the presence and the joy of Jesus? You're going to spend some time. You have just recently for Thanksgiving. You're going to do it again for Christmas and maybe for New Year's and and whatever other celebrations you might have in this season. Into whose life are you bringing the presence of joy and the presence of and the joy of Jesus? Another question for you might be: For whom do you speak blessing? I love when the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart and helped me to realize that that there is something of power in declaring blessing over people's lives. So I, I, it's not my, I can't will this to be done just because I'm a great speaker, but because I partner with the heart of God to say, God, what would you will for this person? Then my desire becomes what God wills, and we marry that together into some words over your life, and may you become May you experience, may you partnering with God as I partner my words with God's intention become an experience. Who do you speak like that for? Parents, bless your children. Coworkers, leaders in companies, bless the people that work with you and for you. Bless your, do you bless your neighbors? Do you bless each other in this church? And then the third question is we want to apply Mary and Elizabeth's encounter to our lives is who do you know who would speak blessing over you? A wildly important question for a a society that really has trained people to feel uncomfortable receiving compliments. We tell ourselves that if you receive the compliment that you're being arrogant. I don't want to be prideful. Okay, don't be prideful. Just receive the blessing. 
And the distinction is that there is a fine line between where the blessing is going. It should not go to your head. Let it go to your heart and become the thing that God has called you to become. By his leading, not because you're wonderful. <laughs> you are, but like at a limited capacity. <laughs> so to receive a blessing is just as important as it is to give a blessing. What does it look like to receive a blessing? Somebody has partnered their intentions with God's will for my life that I would become and receive God's intention for me. And so I receive a blessing when I say, I agree with that desire of God and of my friend, and I will endeavor to become the thing that God has desired for me to become. So when I, when I bless you, may your neighboring lead your neighbor into the presence of Jesus. I can't neighbor for you. So I bless you to neighbor. Does this make sense? What does that mean? You might be mowing someone's lawn next week. In the name of Jesus. Or many other things. So we've learned from Mary's journey. We've learned from this greeting that results in this response from Elizabeth. And then finally today, I think that there's something to be learned from Mary's praise. That Mary, this teenager <laughs> who learned about a week ago that she was going to, in several months, give birth to the Messiah, whose world has been turned upside down for the purpose of God, and who has, up until this point, said very little, and what she has said is, I submit to God's purpose, and hi, cousin. She finally, after hearing this prophetic blessing from her cousin Elizabeth, seems to explode. It's as if, if you could just for a second imagine the tension that has been carried within this young woman's heart for a little over a week. And we have yet to hear her say anything other than I submit and hello, Elizabeth. That she now says, ah! <laughs> I got to get this out. I have something to say. And here is what she says. By, by the way, Luke records, and Mary said. I don't think that she took time to write this. I think she said this in the moment. I think that Luke records accurately that she said this. Now, however long she'd been reciting, this is when she said it. That's important. And here's what she says. And imagine this exploding out of the heart of a young woman that has just discovered her place in the story of God saving the world and has been blessed by her cousin. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. 
His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham. Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. She waited a week to say that. And I'd like to, as quick as I possibly can, offer you a terrifying number of observations. I have five. Strap in. Okay, no, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to try going quickly. Let's get to number one. Number one, we don't know if this was a poem or a song. We don't know if she like sang this or if she just recited. We don't know. But uh, the, the point is not did she sing it like all of a sudden it was like the musical and like all the people around her like doing it. It's probably not like that, right? Um, I just watched a musical yesterday. I'm just like stunned in these moments when people are suddenly singing a duet. And these two people like had just met. How did you know the words? <laughs> so it's probably not a musical moment. She probably just declared this. It was probably poetic in its delivery, right? But the, the important thing is, is the fact that Mary took the time to express the praise. I, I think we just talked about this, right? We just talked about this a couple of weeks ago as we were wrapping up our series on spiritual disciplines and talking about worship, and we were talking about the importance of shouting our praise, which doesn't necessarily have to be shouted, but it certainly is something of declaring the testimony of what God has done for you and ter- returning back to him uh, truthful statements about him and to him that declare you have done this because you are amazing, So it's sharing the testimony of God's faithfulness. And and this is important. Mary did not, uh, later on we'll see that Mary like keeps some things in her heart. This was not one of them. She led her praise to God actually out of her mouth in a pretty dynamic way. Observation number two. So that's important that she did it. Number, Number two. Mary's soul magnified God not because God had made her something uh, profoundly more than anyone else. But her soul magnified God because of what God had done. This is why she says, uh, everyone's going to call me blessed, and then spends more words talking about all of the things that God has done and is doing and will do. She's magnifying God because she knows God has favored her, even though she is a young, uneducated woman from an insignificant part of the world. God's favored her. This is incredible. So from here, we would be encouraged to know that when God works in our own lives, we should probably remember to give God the credit. Right? It's interesting how many times we go, God, save me. And then when God saves us, we go, I'm so smart. I figured it out. No, God gave, like, he answered your prayers. You're alive today because he answered your... Okay, so give God the praise for that. Okay, I've got three more. Let's keep going. Number three. So Mary recognized the historical significance of her, of her pregnancy. Uh, Mary, a young, uneducated woman, recognized that she was a unique person in all of human history. And she, she praises God for the fact that his mercy 
from generation to generation is on those who fear him and that, that everyone would recognize, those who fear him would recognize they would receive the mercy because they understand God favored this woman and they're going to call her blessed forever now because nobody else in all of human history got to do what she did. What a gift. She recognized her place. Mary seems to know that she was unique while also interestingly knowing that she was just one person in a long legacy of human beings. And I think it's important for us to actually understand that Mary knew that and for us to understand that we also are, God is doing something distinct in our own lives while you also are just one person in the long legacy of human beings that God has loved. It's important for us to know you are, your story matters so much, but your story matters being woven into the tapestry of church history, which is ancient and fresh and new and still being written all at the same time. You matter in that story as a part of that story. And, and Mary models that so seamlessly. It's, it's actually inspiring. It's beautiful. Fourth observation, Mary then gets specific with her praise, right? She's, she names this like five different things. He, he's done a mighty deed. He's scattered the proud. He's toppled the mighty. He's satisfied the hungry. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abram, the descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Uh, these, these five points paint a powerful picture of who God is and, and what God has done and how he is a God who always keeps his promises. So when God does something in our own life, it's really, really important that we go further, that we learn from Mary's example in her praise, and we go further than just saying, God is good, or thank you, God. These are good things to say. God is good, and you should say thank you to him. But for what? If God is doing something distinct and beautiful in your life, name it in your praise. Have you ever given something to a young person and you really wanted them to nail the thank you and they biffed it? Right? How wildly disappointing is that? It's like, it's like de deflating. You really hope that at Christmas time, you know, somebody says, thank you for the gift card to Best Buy that you gave me. Right? Like a little kid that, you know, they can go buy. Or thank you that you bought me the Roblox game. If the kid just goes, my mom told me I have to say thanks. <laughs> my pastor told me I have to pray. Thank you, God. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I know you would never do that, but when you're helping your family pray later on, tell them to be specific. I think it actually matters to the heart of the Lord. I think it honors him to be specific in praising and thanking God for the things he has done. Okay, number five. Number five. We made it to number five. Okay, uh, the structure of Mary's praise seems to be inspired by the Old Testament and also teaches us something about Mary and I think inspires us to something else. So the structure of Mary's praise matters here. Mary actually seems to have mirrored her praise after the praise of someone named Hannah. 
Hannah, uh, we're told her story in 1 Samuel, specifically in uh, the beginning of 1 Samuel. Uh, Hannah was like Elizabeth and wanted to have a child, and there was a lot of social shame going on in her family. Read the book of 1 Samuel. It's it's profound and beautiful. Um, She cries out before the Lord for a child, and she commits to God, if you give me a child, I will commit this child to the service of your kingdom. And this is exactly what happens. She receives a child. Her answer, her prayer is answered. And she eventually, uh, she brings this child back to the, the then prophet, and she dedicates her child to the Lord. So when she brings her son to the Lord, Hannah actually praises God. And you can read this long, I, I won't read you the whole thing, but let me just highlight a couple of things just to kind of draw out this point, because you can see the parallels. And there's something to be learned here, I think. So Hannah in her prayer says things like, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Hannah says, there is none holy like the Lord. Mary says, holy is his name, or his name is holy. Hannah says, do not boast so proudly. Mary says, he has scattered the proud. Hannah says, the bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength, which is a bar. Mary says, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, which is just as good. Hannah says, the Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Mary says, he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's it's actually, there's some good parallels there. If you study the original language, the parallels are even more clear as you, as you look. But the, the implication is this, that Mary, a teenage girl who would have been uneducated and very likely unable to read, somehow knew, Mary, knew Hannah's praise enough that it had gotten into her bones enough that when praise exploded up out of her for what God was doing in her life, it sounded familiar. R.C. Sproul, the teacher and author, uh, scholar, he says it this way, the more we ingest scripture and hide it in our hearts, memorizing it, become familiar with it, we will find that when we are praying again and again, we will turn to the language of the word of God itself. You want to know how I know if you read the Bible? I'll listen to you pray. I'll listen to you pray. Ooh, Pentecostals, my Pentecostal friends, I love you to death. We are a Pentecostal church. Okay, but like we are so bad at this. We are so, we get so Pentecostal and we start saying stuff in our prayer. And I know you made that up. You just made that up. God didn't say that in the word. My, my Bible college students get so frustrated with me because they'll say a thing, and I'll go, tell me where you found that in Scripture, and they go, I, I can't. Okay, so how about we make a deal? Never say that again. Okay, Dr. Lee. <laughs> what would it look like if we were to be so inspired by Mary's praise, which was so inspired by Hannah's praise, that something of our praise sounded like both of their praise? How do you get there? 
I'll give you a spiritual discipline. Tomorrow, pray Mary's praise. Pray the Psalms. In fact, followers of Jesus have been praying the Psalms daily, multiple times a day, for generations, for longer than your great-grandma. Like generations and generations. Praying the Psalms, out loud, by the way. Out loud, reciting the Psalms as a prayer. Pentecostals, it would be a good practice for us to strengthen the muscle of reciting prayers, making them our own, even if we didn't make up those words right now in this moment. Why? Because Jesus taught us to pray and then gave us scripture to pray. Like, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray it. And then pray it so much that you don't need to read it to pray it, but that might take you time. Mary clearly had memorized Hannah's prayer enough that it came out of her when she praised. Clearly, it it just flowed out of her. And while she didn't use the exact same words that Hannah used, I mean, partly because they were speaking different languages, she used words that were contextually relevant for her moment, inspired by what God was doing in the the. The, the perspective that she had and the historical moment that she was in, and then deeply personal to her and all inspired by Scripture. So the, the challenge for you would be to pray Mary's prayer, to praise Mary's praise until it becomes your own. And then, and, and then you could actually go from there and write your own version. What has God done in you? What is the perspective that you have on the story of God that flows out of you naturally because you have come so intimately to know the work and the word of God in your life. That we could, like R.C. Sproul says, be just it would just naturally that we pray the word. That we pray the word. It would be beautiful. Now, uh, we're actually not going to take time to pray this together uh, t- today uh, here, because I, I want to challenge you. Take this home with you. I, I want to pray with you, and then I'll, I want to pray a blessing over you, and then I'm going to dismiss you for the day. But I, I think that we have um, just a, a, like a version of the Magnificat is the, is the kind of the historical church title of Mary's praise. And so that's just there on the screen. So the invitation is to snap a picture of that. If you don't want to snap a picture of it, I, I'll tell you where you can find it. It's, it's in Luke chapter 1. Um, just open, open the word. And maybe even it would be significant for you holding Holy Scripture in your hand to read out loud as if ye, these were your words, making them your words. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. And so on. Do that this week. I won't ask you next week if you memorized it. Maybe next month. I know you, you've got a lot going on. I'll give you a month. Memorize the Magnificat. There you go. Homework assigned. Okay. So, why don't we pray? We're going to see next week how this story continues. Mary doesn't just leave right away. She stays for three months. Um, and some other pretty significant things happen. We've heard some announcements about babies. We've heard about the way these women responded. We've heard about the way that a husband responded named Zechariah. We'll 
pick up his story again next week. So come again and, and we'll hear some more. But I, I think it would be wise of us to end this moment reflecting on a final question of the day. As we know that the coming of Jesus brings joy and blessing into our lives. And in this Christmas season, this is exactly the point of the conversation. That Jesus has come to bring joy and blessing into your life. The, the final question of the day is, have you welcomed Jesus completely into your life? Take a moment and reflect on that question. Not lightly. At, at Life Church, we very rarely will ask you this question in a way that um, we, we, tr we try to not risk saying to you that if you say yes in a moment that you're magically now a Christian. There's something of a commitment to a life that makes you a Christian. But it is important to answer that question. Have you welcomed Jesus into your life? Friends, if you can say yes to that, answer the fullness of the question, have you welcomed Jesus completely into your life? Is there some place in my life, in my heart, where I have closed the door to Christ and said, you can come in for the saving part, but but the fixing all of the stuff parts, I, I'd like to keep this door closed. Have you welcomed Jesus into every part of your life? So much so that he could upend your entire life that you would travel days and days to tell somebody about it. That you would praise God for the wonderful works that he's done in your life. Has he entered fully into your life? I know there are places in my life where I would say, yes! And not yet, God, please come. Can you take a moment and invite Jesus fully into your heart today? It's so important that you answer this question. Jesus, I invite you fully into my life today. And I commit to live the kind of way that I should live as a person who has invited you fully into my life. And even as, as we think about our own lives and you coming into our lives, we also think and hold before you in our hearts today and our minds today those that we know that if we said, have you welcomed Jesus into your life, their answer would be no. God, help us to be like a Mary to them, bringing the joy of Jesus. And help us for each other to be like an Elizabeth inspired and anointed, filled with the Holy Spirit to minister blessing to one another so that we would be known as your disciples. Hmm. And I offer you, friends, this, this final blessing inspired by Elizabeth's words. Blessed are you who believe 
that the Lord will fulfill all of his promises. Go and believe. Go and be blessed. Go and be a blessing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.